Hi, Jonathan Williams back again of the Bricks and Mortar podcast. Please accept my apologies. It's not my fault. It's not my fault that you've had to wait three best part of four weeks to get another episode out of the Bricks and Mortar podcast. We're up past the 50s and we've hit a bit of a roadblock. Only because we did an interview with uh, Matt Mason at Keller Williams and he's not come back to me yet in connection with uh, approving the interview. Uh, It's meant to go up the chain at Keller Williams. It's probably gone up the chain, but it hasn't come back down yet. So rather than waiting, I'm just going to crack ahead, get another one out. And what I want to do is to put... The interview with Chris Coburn on Chris Coburn, just a little bit of a heads up for you. Chris Coburn is the business development manager at a company called Let It. They're based in, now this is a strange one, they've got offices in Paisley, they've got offices in Glasgow, and they've got an office in Essex. He'll explain why they've got an office in Essex, But what we'll do is we'll get that on and we can have a chat with Chris. He tells us about his start, what he does and what the role of the BDM is down there at the Lettit offices in the town. It's three weeks to Christmas. If you are having, if you've got this up on full volume, you might hear some tooting of a clarinet in the background. I have got the uh, the microphone here on top of a music stand and I have to say it just looks like complete hieroglyphics to me. I'm not musically minded in any shape or form but my two daughters certainly are. She's got a clarinet exam tomorrow so apologies if you hear some tooting in the background. They were off at the hockey. The hockey's going great guns with the two girls. One of them's sitting in the fourth team there, top of the league and uh, Amy's still chuntering along in the second team. We're three weeks, as I I say, away from Christmas and I ended up having to go out to Ikea. As you know, I've got a number of flats that I rent out and one of the tenants was complaining that his flat was cold. Uh, Quite why it was cold, I'm not entirely sure. When I went round there last week, opened the door and I was hit with a furnace of heat he comes to the door in a t-shirt and shorts and complains that it's cold. He's got double glazing. You could fry an egg on the radiator. Um, I just don't get it. So I said to him, listen, I'll get you some lined curtains. Went off to Ikea, got some lined curtains. Uh, was going to have to pay, I think, 50 quid for uh, a set each. So 100 quid. Took them to Ikea and if you've ever been in Ikea there's no point in trying to buy anything full price until you've gone into that bargain bucket if you've been in Ikea you are almost dragged like a magnet to the bargain bucket section and wouldn't you know the same two sets of curtains were 30% off now normally when you get to the bargain bucket it's the curtains that have got garish colours And you always think when you're in the bargain bucket, think, oh, my Lord, who on earth would buy that? So maybe it doesn't say too much about my taste in curtains. Anyway, we got 30% off. 
I got into the car park and wouldn't you know it, they're selling Christmas trees. So we lobbed a Christmas tree onto the top of the roof, belted it down and off we went with a £25 Christmas tree and a £20 elf voucher. Kitching, absolutely knocking it out the park. I tell you, we've got Glenbar away, that's the property down in Campbelltown, just north of Campbelltown. So the tenants have moved in there. We've got them in just before the new tenancy agreement, which kicked off last week. We'll probably do a separate podcast with one of the letting agents just to see how things are moving forward with regards to that side of the business. And finally, you all know I'm starting up a new business, Bricks and Mortar Mortgages Limited. We're just going through the painful process with the FCA. It really is like moving one step forward and two back sometimes with the uh, with the FCA. We're going directly authorised, so what we're needing to do is we've got the application in. The application has been in for seven on eight weeks, and I'm still waiting for them to assign somebody to look after the case. So we had hoped that we were going to kick everything off on the 4th of January under the guise Bricks and Mortar Mortgages Limited. The company's all set up, the website's all set up, and we're all ready to go, but we just need the lords and masters at the FCA to give me the nod. And strangely, just like buses, an opportunity to buy a mortgage book came around about six weeks ago. And I don't know if you've ever tried to buy a business, but what tends to happen is that you'll go and have a chat with the owner of the business. Hopefully they like you. Hopefully you like them. You then have a look at their books And then there's this dance that you have as to what they think the business is worth and what you ultimately think the business is worth. And unfortunately, that's where it went off the rails. The chap we were negotiating with felt that the business was probably worth twice what I was prepared to pay for it. And unfortunately, it doesn't look as if it's going anywhere. But listen, if that comes back around, then I'll tell you about that, because I think it's always good just to give you the ins and outs of a negotiation such as that when you're trying to buy a business. But it doesn't look as if that's going any further forward. So listen, enough of my prattling. Let's get kicked off and let's have that chat with Chris Coburn at Let It. You got a Fitbit, have you? Yeah, so all right, it'll just distract. Do you do much running? No. <laughs> Steps. You walk. <coughs> I walk like most people. Uh-huh. But it's it's Christmas Addictive. present, and, and it's sort of useful to kind of know how much you're you're walking, I suppose, uh-huh. doesn't it? And upstairs and and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Um. So yes, well. Do you want any background first of all about about letter? Are we are we going yet or I just stuck it on and okay. we'll just we'll start we'll when we start it. if we yes uh, if we want to just crack ahead. You've got um, you've got enough data. You've switched it on. It, it has. Listening to your previous episodes, you've oh, got a bit of a track a record for oh. losing stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> that happened. Well, I've, that, what I've just been doing is just um, deleting some stuff. Um, so hopefully, I've not deleted the good stuff. 
but I'm pretty sure I have 18, so I've deleted 1 to 10, so I should be okay. Yeah, so we'll just kick off, um, and the journey that you've had from, what were you, university, tell us a little bit about how yeah, you ended so up landing at Let It. I um, actually used to be a tenant All right, okay. of Let It, back in, with an ex-girlfriend back in 1999. Right. Late, or might have been 2000, but... Poacher turned gamekeeper then. Yeah, so... Um, it was while I was at university and I was doing music, so nothing right. to do with uh, property at well, all. What do you play? I play the used to play the French horn, all right, so okay, quite all, um, orchestral and that sort of thing. Um, and it turned out that I wasn't as versatile a musician as a lot of my peers, and um, decided it wasn't really for me right. in the long term. So, okay. um, yeah, so having been a tenant of Let It, worked in the, did my kind of stint in call centres mm-hmm. uh, so I worked for BT right. um, for seven years actually oh um, my god okay. uh, in a call centre um, I've not spoken to anybody who works in call centre is it horrible I mean do you no. just deal with absolute well sometimes but I mean uh-huh. you deal with a big cross section of of society and um, but I, I I actually really enjoyed my time there right. um, the, the training was incredible um in terms of you had to understand all the products all the associated compliance with um, what you could say what you should say what you shouldn't say uh-huh. um, and there was there's a, a big misconception I think that everybody thinks that people in call centres read off scripts and can only follow a specific flow chart and if it doesn't happen to fit with what the person's saying then they press the button and you get then, disconnected yeah so <laughs> but but everything that from my experience was entirely using your own knowledge of of your training and right. and all that kind of stuff and thinking and, um, on the hoof. and and it's and, and certainly how to be professional and how to um represent a a company uh-huh. um in a professional manner and and stuff that was um a very valuable thing yeah. that i found the one thing i've always thought about call centers and we'll get to property at some point yes um is that i've had my ups and downs well mainly downs with virgin media um, and they've been absolutely appalling and, you know, tried to make them bang to rights. But at no stage ever did the people at the end of the phone lose the rag. I mean, I don't know. They must be on uh, antidepressants or so. I don't know what they must be on or, or have the... Just amazing that not at any stage did they say, you know, because I was clearly getting angry. Normally, if, if somebody is getting angry, then it's very difficult uh, it, not to start I have to say it's a long time since I was there it's, yeah. a, it's about 15 plus years oh God, right. so I've probably forgotten all the bad bits um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I dare say um, I dare say it did have its challenging, challenging customers and right. moments and, yeah. and that sort of thing but but that was just really while I was at university okay. doing the music thing, just in the evenings. And, and because it was in the evenings, um, during the summertime particularly, I was always a bit of a loose end. And um, I got to know um, the folks that let it and yeah. offered to do the viewings um, and so on in the, the busy periods um, okay. of the kind of 2002 and three and, yep. and four, yep. um, having been a tenant prior. Um, so covered helped them cover the viewings at the busy periods when we were in a much smaller office. Up so in that England was Street. with the prospective tenants coming along. They would yeah, phone, they would it. do the, yeah, and okay. I would go along and, and show them the property. Right. Um, so 
a lot of that um, back in, in the mid-2000s or early to mid-2000s um, when it was busy. And then I reached the crossroads where um, am I going to do something to do with music or, or not? I'm going to uh-huh. do something. Um, I had a very, very short-lived stint um, doing a bit of recruitment um, with the, the recruitment agency that, that covered um, the BT contract and, okay. and didn't enjoy that in the slightest. Yeah. So um, that left, left a very short time. Mm. Um, and then contacted um, Colin Rowe, our managing director here at Let It, um, yes. to, to see what the options, if there were any options, any any space for me at Let It, which uh-huh. initially said there wasn't, and then it just so happens a few days later somebody had given notice to leave, and so there was an opportunity here again. That was in 2005, and I've been here ever since. So. It's, it's amazing how often that does happen, that had you not made that call and been proactive then your whole career path might have taken a completely different yeah. a different path. So I fell into it almost by accident yeah. and it's um you know sometimes I think I'm still deciding what I'm gonna do with my life, but actually it's formed a fairly specific Because you've been uh, here twelve years. Now. Yes. Um so and and I enjoy it every every day is different. Um you meet people from all walks of life. Uh-huh. Um you understand that the get a good overview of the the property and the letting market. I've seen various different eras in the the, the letting um, industry in, yeah, in Glasgow yeah. over those years. So I saw the sort of towards the end of the buy to let boom through a very kind of um, lean period of accidental landlords and and now going so forward. Just, so just for the listeners, identify that time frame then. So the buy to let boom started in your eyes probably what? probably the early 2000s probably before my time really yeah um and then started to tail off 2007 right so okay so it's really aligned with your northern rock the crash yeah. rbs pretty and, much and exactly aligned that. with that i would say okay um but there were still interestingly there were still tenants needing property it was just the fact that there was no investment there for landlords to buy. So I guess no new stock was coming on and you were having to then deal with what you had? Sort of. I still took on stock mm-hmm. um, during those periods, but they were accidental landlords or people that couldn't sell their property yeah. or yeah. Um, I never would have um, considered investing in property in, to rent out. Uh-huh. So they found themselves having to do that um, in order for themselves to move on so in that regard there was a lot of new landlords that had to be kind of kind of coached through from a very um beginner's point of view yeah 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 um so that had its challenges as well and it's and it was interesting too and you got a different sort of style of property whereas before you may have got this sort of bog standard buy to let box um you know blandly decorated or whatever uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, you know it was you were dealing with somebody's um, home that had been their home so yes. it was a lot more kind of um, a lot more of a personal touch to it and um, a lot more kind of uh, emotional attachment yeah, to yeah, that property no, that, that you that. had to kind of help uh, them through and so once the lender started to release more money and it really then became back to you needed your 25% deposit did you when did you start seeing things improving well probably the early 2010s probably right. okay 
11, 12, 13. Yep. 14 wasn't too bad either. Uh-huh. Um, and then actually there was another dip in 2015. I noticed, I don't, I don't know if, if others did as well. That's but interesting what you I, think that was. I actually, I don't really know. I took on half the number of new instructions in 2015 than I did in 2014. Gosh, um, right. And I hadn't done anything noticeably different. No. So, but... I think the tax changes hadn't. No, I that think really, that hadn't come not out. There was no. St- they said the stamp duty. There was a Scottish referendum yeah, um, okay. in twenty fourteen. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that had something to do with it or not, but uh-huh. um, uh, leading into into twenty fifteen, possibly as as a kind of hangover from that. But yeah, yeah. Certainly, um, <clears throat> more recently, I've noticed um, a new generation of buy to let investor, and I'm saying recently, as in this year, oh, there's been so, right. a, a few um, notable. Um, clients now in my horizon who, who are wanting us to assist them with um, okay. buy to let purchases and, and how how would you identify those new investors some, some of them have literally walked in off the street <clears throat> we're quite a prominent location here in Stockwell Street and um, so a couple of them have actually walked in off the street others um, through various networking and um, one's an existing client um, who's actually had a buy to let property for a number of years, just the one, and now he's got grand plans. Right. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a new generation of of very um, deliberate investors who have a long term plan. Yes. Do you think that they're almost now seeing this as a proper business model? Then probably, and I think they they really have to with the the way that the landscape is forcing. Um, the individual landlord to, to treat it more like a business mm, um, and and do it properly um, and and actually that's not a bad thing because you, you know that they they have the right approach from from the beginning they've got a long term mm. sustainable approach they're yeah. they're not going to be miserly in their t- in their attitudes to maintaining the property and dealing with repairs and mm-hmm. so on um, they're going to be probably generally speaking a good landlord. Yeah, you know. well, they're certainly not have been brought up with the bad old days where there was no legislation at yeah. all, and, and everybody just um, ended up getting into it um, to try and make as much money as possible without understanding the legislation. So I guess they know what the <coughs> rules are now, and so if the rules are the rules. Then well, yeah, and it's like a long term considered journey for uh-huh. them and they, they're going to take their off with a smooth because you've got that mindset whereas I think um, landlords in the bank to let boom era were, were of the of the mindset to just they, they, well, they a lot of them had bitten off more than they could chew yeah. um, and uh, therefore they were sailing very close to the wind they were geared to a point where um, you know Repairs or any anything unexpected that came along mm-hmm. was not good news for them, and then um, and then you don't get happy tenants because you don't get repairs dealt with as as you would wish and yeah, all that sort yeah. of thing. It's a knock on effect, so you're always kind of having to manage and um, educate and cajole certain landlords <laughs> into to doing <laughs> what nice they, what they really should it. be doing. Um, so we're getting a probably a, a, a like I say a long term. Mm view landlord yeah. coming on now and tell us a little bit about let it then because I was looking at the website and so you've got the Glasgow operation you've got Paisley and you've got Essex that's right well, 
so, so tell us a little bit about the business and how that started. Well, the the business really started in Paisley, uh-huh. um, and then the Glasgow branch was about the time I was a tenant with them. Um, yeah. Very very small office with three desks on uh, Ingram Street, um, and Essex was a, a more recent addition. Yes, um, whereby we actually we took over one of our um, directors is from down there. Right, and so uh, an opportunity to purchase a small lighting agency in Greys, and so okay. did, um, and it was actually only this year uh, rebranded as Let It. We used to be trading under um, uh, the Lettings Office brand um, before, okay. so we've kind of brought them all in house along with our new website. And so, so, you, so you've been here twelve <coughs> years, so the company's been going. 15 years or so? Um, I think 28. 28 years, yeah, quite a long time. But right. um, in the early days, it was it was trading as Paisley Property Letting Centre, right. which was obviously a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> Let it slightly uh, a bit more appropriate. Yes, yes, in this, in this day and age, absolutely. Um, and so <coughs> what is it that you're offering the... Uh, the, the landlords then I presume it's just a full package with regards to uh, management yeah. side of things yeah I mean <clears throat> there's a lot that's unglamorous about letting management and um, <clears throat> you know an investor buys a property and, and you know they, they see the figures and they see where they'd like to go with the cash flow and they get a tenant in but I, I think sometimes that the tenant is um, not forgotten about but um not fully considered in terms of all the um, the work that goes in terms of the referencing, mm-hmm. the inventory that has to get done, yeah. organising contractors for the gas and the electric and the legionella and the smoke and the heat detectors yeah. and everything yeah. that you need, the EPC and everything you need to get done. Uh, the marketing of the property, the presentation of the property, the cleaning, the, the, the way you handle the tenant's deposit, final inspection, credit control, handle repairs... I wouldn't be surprised if, if some landlords forget about all those nitty-gritty things that, yeah. that are just part of the, the well, job it, and not glamorous, it, you know? No, and it's only when you're not letting property uh, or you're not allowing somebody to manage the property that it comes home to roost very, very quickly that the, the tenant wants something done and it doesn't matter whether it's being managed or not, they want it done mm-hmm. as quickly as possible. Um, and if you've got a number of properties, then unless you're really well organised, you'd be absolutely mad not to be employing an agent to look after the property. It just makes perfect sense Indeed, these days. I know landlords surely have better things to do with their time than be on the end of a phone for um, for for tenants. Something that could be easily handled by people whose day job it is mm-hmm. to, to deal with that. And we're very geared up. The clues in the name we deal with with letting at let it predominantly so we and i would say exclusively we have specific members of staff for specific roles i don't know if other agencies have this um so we we have front desk staff who deal with all the kind of um inquiries applications Mm -hmm. drawing up the leases and they're purely office based we've got a repairs administrator um whose sole role is is repairs we've got um credit controller sole role as credit control mm-hmm. um, and the inventory clerk is very crucial as well so her job is dealing with the, the final inspections the inventories photographic inventories um, the admin involved with protecting the tenant's deposit yeah. making any claim to that tenant's deposit making a case for adjudication with the with 
we use Safe Deposit Scotland for for that. And mm-hmm. um, we've also got a part time uh, viewings agent um, to allow me to focus on business growth and business development. So, um, so growing the business, um, you've been in the role. Uh, of BDM for how long you've been with the organisation for 12, for 12 years, years so how long have you been doing the BDM role probably about goodness, 6 or 7 years now or right. s- I would okay. say because we met at one of the property forums which yes. seemed to be popping up um, it was the ALG property forum and, and really if, if you've got any interest in property at all then Facebook seems to be a place where there's so many people migrate to and, and it does, I have to say, one of the drawbacks is that it does seem to be the same faces that are posting the same the same stuff in all of the um, the Facebook posts. So tell me, business development, growing the brand of Let It, obviously going to these forums, you're finding that's something that is worth your while? Um I wouldn't say it's part of our strategy, to be honest. I mm-hmm. didn't. Um, I, I was simply invited along to that. Sure. Um, and I thought it might be interesting to see who I might meet. Mm. I would say met you. Yes. Um, so I met a few other people who were looking to get on board. It's, I have to say, for for somebody who works in, and it's my bread and butter to work inside um, the property industry as a little cog in the wheel. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of our clients come from a, a, a background of they buy a property, they do their sums and they rent it out. The, the, the sort of concept for me of having a sort of coaching platform and and a sort of a sales thing behind it, mm. it doesn't, to be honest, float my boat hugely. No. But then if, if it gives a, a, a mechanism to... Um, motivate people and to um, have people that they have to be accountable to mm. um, so to give them the drive um, to to go and, and succeed and possibly become clients of mine then then you know it's to their own purpose. yeah it does yeah yeah um, so no no thoughts then of, of opening a, um, a coaching no, I, I wouldn't say that's really for us, to be honest. No, um, no. Like I say, we're we, we're a cog in the wheel, uh-huh. but very important one in terms of we're what you need to deal with the tenant side and the marketing of the property, finding the tenant, uh-huh. and, and and in terms on on that note, that's a very important bit because obviously without the the tenant, there's no there's no tenancy agreement, there's yeah. no money coming in, there's yeah. no relationship, there's no rental business. Uh-huh. So. Um, I always stress to clients that there's always an element of risk involved, and I think probably that's um, that's an important thing that I like to do because there are some landlords, possibly some agents out there, who would paint a very merry picture all the time, um, that, mm-hmm. that nothing ever goes wrong and everybody's mm-hmm. happy all the time. And, yeah. Um, I always stress there's always an element of risk. However, what we do is minimise the risk in as many ways as we possibly can. Um, so. We've adopted a an approach even at the at the marketing stage of not specifically not just going with first come first served yeah yeah when, and and these days the, who's the, got the deposit here there's the yeah, keys who's who's going to race back to the office first uh-huh. um nothing like that it's 
we have a note of interest system so everybody gets a form to fill out and they oh, get right. until the midday the next working day or or usually something like that to submit their form with their details um, and then we'll go to the landlord for a decision in most cases decide which applicant they wish to right. take forward so that's interesting i've not heard of anybody doing that so it's almost like a closing date system but, bit, but yeah. it's not as if the 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 prospective tenants are saying listen i'll give you 620 or i'll give you exactly. 625 so it, it, it is what it is you know yeah, and yeah, it's really much down to the individual tenant and whether or not the landlord and you are happy to accept them as as tenants Yep, 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 exactly. And um, okay. our job, our obligation is to um, find the most suitable tenant for our client. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, it's not social housing we're in, it's a private rented sector. So, yeah. you know, as long as you're not discriminatory, um, you, you know, and you can select to a degree um, which mm -hmm. tenant you, you wish more or less, but, you know, not everybody can move in any case. So if there's a viewing and there's five parties turn up, usually we restrict at any one viewing to maybe three or four or five parties, depending on the size of the property. Mm -hmm. um, everybody gets a form. So for a start, it's perceived as fair to them because yes. they don't have to race each other back to the office um, and they can't all move in. Yes. So we've got to pick somebody somehow. Uh -huh. um, so we get the forms and try and establish, obviously. That seems, that, that seems like a really form. sensible way of of uh, of being completely fair and transparent yeah. with with the tenants and there's a wee box at the bottom that you know they can add any other information there's some people write an entire essay in that little <laughs> box um you know I it's like a personal statement for university pick yeah. me <laughs> so I, I, I have to have a tie break they do a little dance or something we've got a question they've got yeah. the answer as well but i mean certainly there's there's um and in, in a lot of cases more than one applicant would be would make a, a suitable tenant yeah, and really yeah. it's just a, sometimes a, a toss up this uh -huh. you know, well, it's down to the landlord I guess yeah. back to the um, the, the forums and, and obviously where we met one of the reasons that, that I go along is very much to you know meet people like yourself other professionals to get them onto the podcast and really try and get the brand of the bricks and mortar podcast um and the business that i do is, is you know, buying selling properties and and um and mortgages etc is just to try and get the brand so i use going to these things very much from a marketing perspective and have been asked on a couple of occasions to start to do talks at these things so that's the way that I use these these forums, and I'd be interested just to see how you go about marketing the brand of of Let It. I mean, obviously you've got a website. Do you do blogs, or how do you go about doing that? Well, for a long time, we were um, largely word of mouth and um, existing client base, and mm. we'd had um, relationships with um, estate agents and probably buying clubs back in the early two thousand that that got us. A lot of clients from Ireland um, right. for, for developments in um, in Silver Grove um, yep. Street and London Road and Bridgeton. Mm -hmm. We got a lot of um, clients from Dublin there yep. back in the boom day. So we had a couple of key sources back then. Um, and then since then, it's been word of mouth and those clients kind of buying other properties. Um, latterly, um, we've barked up various trees such as radio advertising which which didn't work I have to say um, there's all the usual stuff social media I'm also um, in B&I do networking ah right and, 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 good old B&I well, so, yes, I'll have a so, chat about that but go um, 
and latterly, very, very recently, we've um, I've become a, a freelance estate agent through Miller Stewart. Oh right, um, yes, yeah, estate agency. Yep. So um, that has been um, probably the most sort of promising avenue to um, to us in, in terms of um, well, certainly at the end of say a 10 year window a landlord may wish to sell the property mm-hmm. and we're at the end the sort of 10 years hence period from the buy to let boom yes so some of those landlords from um, back in the early days that possibly bit off more than they could chew or mm. certainly they entered the market that the letting game where uh, in a time where there wasn't all these onerous obstacles that they had to negotiate. Absolutely. Well, it's um, not only that. There wasn't 3% tax. Exactly. There wasn't the income tax uh, qualifications that they're making in the, over the next four years. Um, and from a money-making enterprise, it's completely different. So, uh, as I said, to, and then the other thing is that you've now got your portfolio uh, landlords and they're now being treated differently by... The lenders, yep. and so I think that there's going to be a whole raft of properties that are going to come back onto the market. Yep. So positioning yourself with an ability to be able to steer them in in the way you want to put it onto the market seems yeah. like a great idea. Well, I mean, so some of these landlords have just had enough, you know, yeah. and, and they want to um, to leave. So yeah, I think there'll be probably um, more rental fair properties uh-huh. um, appearing on the open market um, as a result in the coming years, coming yeah. year or two. Yeah. Um, the association we have with Miller Stewart is that um, in the past, when a landlord decided to sell, all we could do was cry a little bit and wave mm. goodbye to that bit of business, whereas now at least we can handle the sale of the property. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. at least it, it gives us um, a little bit of a an opportunity to make a little bit of fee out of, of the loss of that business. Yep. Yeah. Um, and if in an ideal world, if I play my cards right, might be able to sell that property to one of these new generation yeah. that I was talking yeah. about of of uh-huh. um, investor landlords. Um, so that's um, an opportunity to to make something out of a loss. Um, mm-hmm. And also, it's, a, it's an education for me as well because I'm now starting to see um, the property industry. As much more of a, a bigger picture, as a whole, okay. rather than just um, trying to ask for introductions to landlords or mm. people that want to buy buy property, yeah, um, to to rent out. So, and that was. I th- I think you've got to have as many strings to your bow as far as the marketing is concerned. Yeah, and I think you almost have to try and be. But, but maybe not market yourself as this. You, you don't. I don't think that you want to be marketing yourself as uh, somebody for for everybody. Um, I think you need to be quite specific, but have a whole raft of things that you can offer them once you've got them through the door. Exactly, and I think that's what you have to do now. You have to be um, a kind of all solutions, yeah, type person. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but certainly lettings is very much our, our bread and butter and our specialism in terms of doing it correctly and doing it right i think our ethos is not cutting corners you know doing things ethically doing things the right way doing things fairly for the tenant as well as the landlord mm-hmm. um as well and just being a, a mediator but it's very much a people um business you know so um i think being able to communicate strongly for me anyway with with all different 
landlords with different approaches and different ideas and yes. different reasons to rent their property mm-hmm. is and trying to having being able to sort of tap into the reason that for them to do that is is important but also educating them so that we've got a successful outcome for them in terms of uh, that their rental business is going to you know be as as fruitful and as risk free as possible yeah um, and well managed as possible and is that what you like about your job the the aspect that you're dealing with the public as far as the tenants is concerned and long-term clients is that there's the people aspect that is the thing that you've grown to love yeah i love um the, the people um that i meet along the way i love um i love seeing interesting properties i love yeah. i love being out and about in my, my home city uh-huh. uh all of these things and and having won the business it's myself who then praised myself and taking good marketing pictures and um, does the description so that's that's where my, yeah. my artistic side gets a wee chance to come back out again okay. after the music days yeah, doing yeah. all the photography and that sort of thing uh-huh. um, and then it's something satisfying about seeing it complete full circle so yes. initially meet with the landlord mm-hmm. get their property on do their marketing especially if they don't know anything about it you're yeah. taking them through that journey so by the end of it they're becoming somebody who they know so much more than they did at the start. Exactly. So, and you feel you've played a key part in that, and they mm-hmm. trust you. And you know, it's a long-term relationship. You know, an estate agent's job is 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 done once the property's sold, and in some in a lot of cases, yes. so our re- relationship is ongoing. We've had we've got clients we've had for years and years and years, mm-hmm. um, who who we know and we know what their little foibles are and, 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 stuff. and the great thing I think with regards to that relationship is that you have got a necessity and a requirement to continue to contact them and so that's much easier to build that rapport build that relationship whereas with an estate agent or you know, when I have my legal hat on you, once you've bought the property you've, yes you've got a will that you could potentially speak to them about but ultimately you're not going to maybe have the necessity or requirement to speak to them until they want to remortgage. The until chances they are to you. they're not going to not going to use you as a remortgage because all the lenders are offering free legals, and then you've got to hope that they remember you when they come to sell the property. Mm-hmm. So, I think from many businesses' perspective, the fact of the marketing is to try and get you into a situation where you have an ability to be able to speak to the client and you're not trying to sell them stuff. you yeah. And that's the great thing about what you do and the ability that you've got is that every time there's a legislative change, then you have to contact them and they're then saying, well, they're not selling me anything. They're actually meaning that the interaction with you and the landlord is a positive one. Yeah. And they're getting as much out of it as, as you are and you're cementing that relationship moving and, forward. And not only at that juncture, also be, you know, between tenancies, you know, we'll have to um, it's then another um, another project to find a new tenant for, yeah. for their property. So yeah. we would advise obviously that their tenants vacating, we go about um, I go about remarketing their property for them um, and check that the rent is, is still valid or whether and lately rents have, have gone shooting right up so mm. we just basically rejudge the rent uh-huh. um, and go about finding tenant number two and so on and rents let's talk about rents for a little while um 
rents have been fairly static and then suddenly they've started to rise. Now, from my point of view, I think some of that will be to do with the income tax changes and people see on the horizon that, listen, I'm not going to be able to then deduct the interest uh, that I, that the, the mortgage uh, I'm going to have to pay um, over the next four years. Um, is Airbnb having an effect that, that people are potentially making seem to be making more money with Airbnb and serviced accommodation? So in order to compete, the, the six-month tenancies have increased. Well, why, why do you think that the rents have increased? It's hard to see whether Airbnbs have much of an impact because I, I guess you'll, you'll not really know that. But if you were to ask me, would I, would I rather be or would I be more worried as a hotelier than a letting agent, uh-huh. I think I'd be more worried if I was a hotelier yeah, I agree with um, that. about Airbnb. Yeah. Um, and and I think there will always be people who um, are happy renting out their property short term. Um, there are also people that wish to rent out their property long term and rent it for much longer term views. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's one of the one of the the viewpoints. The rents I noticed the rents have been going up actually since. 2014 and for some reason I always remember it being about the same time as the Commonwealth (coughs) Games um, that we had we we manage um, over 400 properties from this branch and at any one time we would have between say 15 and 30 available um, prior to the Commonwealth Games and from about that point onwards um, we're, we're anything between say 3 or 4 to maybe 15 available of our stock yes Um, and so the demand is, is therefore higher. Rents have been able to be tweaked up between tenancies um, since about that point as well. So for about three years now. However, I think very very latterly, as in this year, rents have, have gone up another big step. And you're probably right, it's probably to to kind of account a little bit for the, the, the tax and mm-hmm. And the extra expense that landlords are having to incur to do things that they didn't have to do before the yeah. the Legionella, for example, and all that stuff. Um, so we we take a judgment on each time there's a juncture between tenancies. I think our um, I've seen pro- properties, the same property that had been say tenanted for maybe three or four years mm-hmm. so before it, all the the sort of the bigger jumps in rent took place. Yeah, I've seen rents go up at over a hundred pounds for wow. the same property. Um, this year, you know, that had spanned that sort of three or four year gap, and mm. that's not to say the rents hadn't been increased during the previous tenancy. Yeah. But but landlords and and a little bit with our advice don't want to rock the boat too much in terms of putting big rent increases into a tenant. Yeah, because there's a, there's a huge fair. disparity between what people are paying in rent and what people are paying in in mortgages. Obviously, if you buy a property, then you're saddled with a mortgage and and you have to pay the mortgage on a monthly basis. Um, Whereas with renting, you're very much able to move if you want. Well, with the with the new tenancy agreement, you almost, you could start thinking about moving every month if you wanted to. Um, So, it, it, it always amazes me that people are prepared to pay as much as they are for for rental, but it just seems to be moving forward in that direction. And, and if, because there's always a too, marketing you know? Glasgow, I think. Yeah, it amazes me too. And, you know, on the face of it, you think, wow, that's brilliant. And they're at that client's getting that rent, and they never used to get that rent. They always used to get a smaller rent. And uh-huh. you think, wow, and, you know, 
we're as a result getting you know on a percentage fee basis it's better for us as well but yeah, yeah. that sort of thing isn't going to be sustainable forever and ever people aren't going to be able to afford um rents at silly money in, in the future mm-hmm. so um i don't know if there's some sort of bubble that's going to burst soon or or not but um people are, are, are paying those rents i mean i i thought with you know, certainly in the, in the West End off Byers Road, you know, you look around and there's another high-rise block that is going, that is being built for students. And I was, my scepticism was that, that that would have an impact as far as certainly the student market is concerned, that everybody would then just pile into these student blocks. But my understanding is that they are catering very much for the foreign students. Um, those students are coming from the the east um and are paying you know a full fee to do their three or four years and have got the money to be able to shell out seven eight hundred pounds per month on these serviced accommodations so that doesn't seem to be having any impact at all so and and with the city having three hospitals having three universities you know there's always tenants that are there prepared to rent property yep we're never finding it a difficulty to to no. rent most properties and our, our available stock is, is testament to that uh-huh um we our paisley office um generally tends to have a, a few more available than glasgow and the rents don't go up anywhere near as much no. there. and i think it's probably there's a, a, a bigger proliferation of rental properties available yep yeah in, in paisley so but it's still um, a very attractive place to rent, uh, mm. or for, for a landlord to rent out property in Paisley and Renfrewshire. There's the yields are very good, um, so possibly that's why there's an abundance of rental rental stock. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So let's take you back to your first day here, and you're you're viewing properties for for clients. Um, how did you end up learning the game? Did somebody assist you in that? Did you have a mentor or a coach? And, and tell me a little bit about that. Not really. No. Um, Self-taught. It, being a small independent business, um, we it's too fast moving a game really and, and the resource isn't there to really have a trainer or a mentor. So, um, But uh, our, our managing director, Colin Rose, a, a brilliant leader in terms of, of he, he, you know, has a very good um, set of values and ethos and we all kind of go to the beat of his uh, drum, drum right. so to speak uh-huh. I never use that phrase that just popped right into my <laughs> head there um, what, having done 51 episodes <laughs> there's many things that pop into my head that I've never used head just totally <laughs> randomly um, but yeah he's uh, he sets out the, the direction Right really for the company, okay. and um, and do you have the the structure of the business? Do you have regular meetings with him? Do you have a monthly I meeting? See him every a day, um, uh, it, it's a it's a daily conversation. Right. But I mean, back in back in the day when I was starting out, I think um, a lot of my grounding goes back to the call center days, if I'm honest, okay. in terms of how to deal with people and how to speak to people. And um, I'm also a big motorsport fan. I follow Formula One a lot, and actually from a business sense as well. So. I appreciate the way that um, deals are done and agreements are made yeah. and sponsors are represented and um, people in the public eye conduct themselves. I guess if you're a fan of any sport, you'll probably take some um, of the communication side mm-hmm. um, and apply it as well. So yeah. um, so that that's given me a decent grounding in terms of how to be yeah. with people. 
um, and how to present something or how to how to, to sell something uh-huh. I guess uh-huh. um, and then that coupled with um, the artistic sides in terms of, of presenting a property um, both in, in writing in description yeah. photography geographically getting myself from one side of the city to the other side of the city sometimes a bit like a top gear challenge so <laughs> you know that sort of thing yeah it, it's all um plays to my strengths uh-huh. i think and you just i think as well one thing i've learned um is is to do what you say you're going to do don't make false promises mm. um be realistic be a bit humble be yourself you know um i'm not definitely not a, like a yes man i'm not one of these people that just promise the earth and then uh-huh. fail you know I'd rather yeah. under promise and over deliver it, it's so vital that in, in so many aspects of businesses that um, that if you do that and, and you end up letting people down you very rarely get a second chance yeah um, and you only do that a couple of times and then you actually realise that and, and you do have to if you say you're going to do something you have to follow through with that it's absolutely vital. On on the goal setting side of things, do you set yourself personal goals with regards to the business and where you want to be, whether that be income driven or client driven? Or t- tell me a little bit about that if you. I think you I want to, um, on a personal level, um, my my targets are to take on more properties than the same quarter the previous right. year okay. um, having said that on the other hand um, which is a little bit out of my control or any of ours control is, is the loss of properties so the landlord who wish to sell because of the, the conditions that we've mentioned already mm. um, in the rental market or, or whatever um, so I liken my job a, a wee bit like walking the wrong way up a down escalator so I'm taking on properties and we're losing some at sometimes a faster yeah. rate than I yeah. take them on so um, I think to slow down the rate of that and to, to grow overall um, is, is the target it's quite modest really but um, that's I just want to kind of grow the business at a consistent level and, and try and put as many um, ingredients together that will, will lead to that and that's probably probably it and uh, yeah okay good good well, listen, it's been absolutely fascinating. I really do. Of, of, I started off the podcast, as I say, 50-odd episodes ago, and the episodes that I enjoy and I think a lot of the listeners enjoy, the ones where we do the interviews, um, mainly because they probably don't want to hear me prattling on um, and actually talking to somebody about what they do and, and just get a feeling of the enthusiasm because everybody I speak to in property has a love of property, and there is that enthusiasm and it always comes through yeah. in all the interviews I you, that I give. said as well, one of the ones I listened to was um, that, that people, a lot of the time you find have a family member um, who's been involved in some yes. way in property. And, yes. Um, and I was thinking, well, I wonder if, I suppose I do this in a funny sort of way. My, my grandparents were architects. Oh, right. And actually, I was brought up by my grandparents, so I've got quite an interesting um, backstory in terms of I think um, that's probably helped my uh, sales abilities. Yeah. Because yep. I think if you get brought up by a generation beyond your parents, um, then you have to negotiate as a teenager a lot more skillfully, you know, to get your way. Yes. You mind your P's and Q's a wee better. You can't quite be as cheeky as you might be otherwise uh-huh. and stuff like that. Uh-huh. So um, you've got to sell an idea to 
to get whatever it is you know right okay. so i think that's probably been a bit of a need as well and so maybe their um interest in, in buildings and property and that sort of thing um has been um a bit of an influence as well yeah and do you regret, regret not being able to take the music as as far, or was that something that you realise, you know what, that's just not going to be an option? I think probably I realised midway through university. I also took a few, um, a, a year or two out um, in the middle of it because I'd, I was actually in a serious car accident in 99 and smashed actually my legs up oh, and, and right. my face a little bit, which okay. meant coming back to playing... A, an instrument, a brass instrument like the French horn, very kind of um, more of a challenge. Yeah. Um, like coming back from it from an injury to, uh -huh. to do that. Yeah. Um, so, but I sort of overcame that hurdle. But this, I was never didn't quite have the same um, passion as before. And also, a lot of my other peers were were a lot more versatile musicians and um, were able to do um, other aspects of music um, mm -hmm. a lot, some of them are teachers now some of them are my brother-in-law for example is a, 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 in, a, in a successful band so right um, yeah I mean there's there's a lot of um, and I thought I'm not going to really want to do teaching or um, that sort of thing so uh -huh. um, I'll go and do something else because I just fell into the, the well the legal side of things because initially what I'd wanted to do out of school was go and play professional cricket Right, and so I ended up going out to Australia for six months, um, and then came back. Uh, so what I wanted to do was to have eighteen months playing solid cricket. I'd taken a year out of, I'd done the gap year, so finished school, and then uh, did the summer season in in Glasgow, and then went off and did a season in Australia, and then the what ended up being the English season. So eighteen months to see if I could I could make it. Um, and I went down uh, down south, this is now, this would be 86, 87, and I remember uh, turning up, this is obviously pre-mobile phone, um, everything was done by letter and phone call, and so I remember going down to Essex of all places to do a net, and it was a 20 minute net where you had to bat and you had to bowl, and then you were shown the door, and you packed your suitcase and you were back up on the train, so it took me... 12 hours to get down on the wow. train 20 minutes and then back up the road but anyway they, they thought enough of me to give me a couple of games and in the first game I ended up scoring 90 odd and I was 18 I was 19 and I thought well that's it you know they'll, I'll come off to the applause and th there will be a three-year contract waiting on my on my my uh, my bag and you know within five years I'll be playing for England and and a legal career will be a dim and distant path dim and distant um, but it didn't obviously transpire like that because they then told me listen we like the look of you come down and have another go for a longer period of time didn't perform as well as I, I could or should have done and they said at the end of the season listen we're not we're not going to take you on and I've always thought why that was um, and I have to say it's probably been the best decision because ultimately I think and and I wanted to discuss this with you about the sort of the 1% that there was, I think, just something that I was lacking, whether I don't think technically, I mean, I was good as some of the kids that I was playing with, but I just don't think that I had the drive to do that professionally because, and the reason why I don't think I had that drive was because I had that fallback because always at the back of my mind was, 
listen, if I can't make it, I can always go up and do my legal career. I think had I yeah. not got that, and it was shit or bust, then I think maybe I would have, because I had the opportunity of going down and playing a season in England for that summer, and that was probably a telltale as much to them as it was to me, that, you know, if your heart's really in this, you should move down. But I was lured with playing for underage group Scotland and captaining this, that, and the next thing, and I thought, you know, I was going to jeopardise that. But what I should have had was a medium to long term goal and realise, you know what, who cares about Scotland under 16, Scotland 19, whatever? If your future's in cricket, then you have to go down and do that. But it was just that that small thing that just I don't think I ever had. Yeah. Was that something? I that, think. Um... I probably wasn't as dedicated as I should be. I had yeah. a, a decent natural ability. I think I'm uh, fairly um, good at being musical and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff and, and expressive. But I didn't have the the um, the dedication to get stuck into um, the technicalities and the theory mm. and all that stuff. So but you must have been um, pretty good. I mean, they're not they're not handing out. I was okay, but I mean, <laughs> I was okay. <laughs> I was okay. You know, it's uh, but now, like you say, because there was another option. Or another option appeared, yes. should I say, in uh-huh. terms of of um, my career now. Yeah, um, that groove is going in the tra- trajectory it's gone, and uh-huh. um, so it's and it and it's on a, I think a good direction for the, the future. Absolutely, um, these changes that are happening. I'm a bit of a worrier, and when 2015 I took on half the number of properties and I did in 2014, I thought, uh-huh. what's, what's going on? Like, uh-huh. do I need to go and get another job, doing something altogether different again? Right, but. And then I thought, you know, then then things have moved on from that. Catastrophizing. Um, yeah, and I, I, need, I needn't worry as half as much as I think I do most of the time. I yeah, reckon. yeah. Um, but actually, I, I'm very positive about the future, the changes to the private residential tenancy, and the um, the, the the tax, and the going to mean possibly an injection of um, rental properties onto the market, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. coupled with a new generation of investor landlords. So yep. there's lots of pieces being flung up into the air. And so therefore, it's an opportunity to catch them, mm. you know, when, when they land. Um, I, I think it's so important to have that positive attitude, that attitude whereby you know that, yes, it's going to be difficult, but if you've got that knowledge to say, you know what, I've done similar things in the past, and so I have got an ability to be able to push through and achieve that, it might take you a little longer, but I think it's so important that you've got that attitude, and if you you can instill that attitude and work on that attitude, then anything is anything's yeah. possible. And I think that, that there is a strong rental demand, and that's what's going to win out. Yeah. Um, I think possibly the you know if the government simply you know stop demonising the resi- private residential landlord oh, as much every um, flipping quarter they get the kicking then then would be an even better yeah. place at the end of the day people need to live somewhere mm. um, and if they made it easier for residential landlords to enter the market then the rents wouldn't keep climbing rents would be more affordable people would find homes more residential landlords would, would buy more more property and mm. um, that would be um, a help to the the housing crisis, yeah, um, yeah, is to allow the resident, the private residential, pri- private um, letting sector to 
take some of the strain, mm. in, in my opinion. Because mm-hmm. as far as the social housing is concerned, there is little or no social housing. Yeah, so and they're relying upon the private sector to provide that, whether that be through housing associations or, or private landlords. Yeah. It just doesn't seem to be a strategy. Um, and, and it's almost as if they're, they're sticking their thumb in the air and, and hoping it's a bit like the stamp duty. You know, there's this huge hole in the stamp duty. The, they've only been, the government have only been saved by the 3% surcharge. That's, mm-hmm. That shored up the complete cock-up that they've made in relation to the, the, the stamp duty. I was talking to the estate agent there a couple of days ago, and again, he's railed on, on the fact that um, English uh, client came up uh, and was balking at the fact that, that they wanted to buy family home, I think it was Bears Den, around about half, well, 500,000, and he was paying twice as much stamp duty up here than he would have been down south. Just completely nuts. It is. Completely nuts. Okay, listen, we've, we're ticking on, that's 50 odd minutes. I can't, wow. I can't believe Time it's flies. finished. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. So, listen, as you alluded to earlier on in the conversation, I do have my 10 quick fire questions. Goodness. So we'll fire away with them. Um, first tier football, goal for football, um, or neither? Well, probably neither, unless it's got an engine in. But if oh, I had to pick one, I would go for probably golf. Okay, good, good. When the last time you played? Um, I've only played a couple of rounds in my life. But, oh, um, <laughs> you, do, you clearly don't like football. Horrifically <laughs> bad of it, bad, bad at it. Um, uh-huh. Football's all right as a game. It's a following yeah. I'm not so keen on. No, I um, agree with that. I so, can't stand it. I can't um, stand it. Yeah. Um, first medal. Um, first medal. You must have won something. Play, play, I, I won. I won music. something in primary school. Right. What Actually, nothing to do with music. For for writing a, a a diary about some massive school excursion that we went to. That must have been in primary five or something. Right. But yeah, I also won a couple of things in music uh, competitions and stuff. Right. Um, as well over the years. And that that thing you're talking about, primary five, is that just sort of in the back of your mind? Because I think we all have things that we won at school that. Uh, to be honest, it's the first thing I ever remember winning, um, and it was a it was a diary about a, it was a field trip to York where was we stayed, you know, right. stayed for like a week or something, and we, uh-huh. I'd like um, put loads of effort into this diary, this yeah. um, pictorial sort of written kind of diary thing. Uh-huh. They just they stick photographs into the this scrapbook and write all about it and stuff. And that was in the days, obviously. You know when you had to take your thumb over to yeah, get to get yes, yes, and stuff yes. like that. So, yeah, that's the first thing I remember that winning a prize for. Fantastic. Um, first, first flat that you remember renting. Um, the first flat I remember renting. I couldn't possibly remember, but nope. the, the first flat I bought. Yeah, go on. Um, was a um a two bed. Uh, four and a block in Knightswood. Okay. Um, right at the top of the market in two thousand and seven. So I still have it. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. And are you staying there? Or are you renting? No, that one renting out? that out. Okay. Um, what are you getting in Knightswood these days? I'm getting five eighty. That's all right for it. And actually, the going rate is a wee bit more. Uh-huh. Um, it just so happens I've got awesome tenants. Just a long term um, tenant. Long term tenants who've been in for just over. But in fact, two years this month, uh-huh. um, and they're they're uh, brilliant. And yeah, that just washes they, its face. They look after the place better than we did. <laughs> uh, so me, yeah. So me and my wife, we, we had to, to rent it out. Um, 
negative equity situation yeah. to be honest um, well 2007 uh, you would have well it was for a bit I think uh-huh. it's, it's not quite as bad as it as it was yep. um, okay. so yep good good um, first film that you can remember seeing um, I went to see Wizard of Oz um, with my mum you're not that old yeah uh, how old are you know, 37 but it was maybe getting re-shown it was, yeah it must have been uh, right. it must have been uh, shown but that was the first film I saw at the cinema um, and how old were you? I would have been four or five or something. Yeah. Well, what um, about those trees? That must have just scared the bejesus yeah, out of Yeah, it was pretty you. scary, but it was sort of a magical kind of thing yeah, to do. Yeah. So it was the Odeon that was in the corner of West Regent Street yeah. and um, whatever the other one is. Uh-huh. Um, on the corner? The one that's getting redeveloped yeah. into offices now. Uh-huh. So it was in there in like the early 80s. Right. And I just remember coming out and getting hit with... Um, you know, because you're transported into a different world. Yeah. You're in the cinema, yeah. you're a little person, yeah. and you come out, and then um, you're all of a sudden in reality with like buses and smog and like rain uh-huh. and stuff like that. And so all of a sudden you're like, wow, I was just in a magical world. And yeah. Now I'm back. Now I'm back. <laughs> now I'm back in bloody Glasgow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I remembered that. Um, first among equals or fact. This is all about books. What, what are you reading at the moment? Um, I prefer. Uh, like autobiographies and, and okay. that sort of thing. So that's, one that you've um, read recently that um, you could recommend. Actually, I'm currently reading Nigel Mansell's autobiography. All right. Who who put a book out last year, I think. So. And what's that like? I mean, I've read a how many cricket autobiographies, and some of them are absolutely awful, and some of them are actually you know pretty good. It very much depends as who's ghosted it. Has he written that himself? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, it's. Is it as boring as he is? Well, he's he's a bit of an eagle, <laughs> oh, eagle man. So yeah, he's he's um, quite a, an unusual character as a as a racing driver. Right, so I'd get okay. an encyclopedic knowledge of Formula One, by the way. So right. I would probably not get me started in Formula One because we're here for another couple of hours. <laughs> another hour. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just comes from. I've not finished reading it yet, but it's it's actually it just charts from his very beginnings uh-huh. and, and um, how much of a struggle it was through to you know happening to make make the right decisions and right. make the right connections with the right people was uh-huh. along the way it seems that seems to be very much all about motorsport that you've got to have been almost seen by somebody who's there and prepared to back you and then you, yeah you see it where does it take a bit of, of, of good luck and tenacity and mm. um, uh, grit to uh, battle against yep. adversity and all that stuff okay um, first car it was a Volkswagen Jetta it was right. red right um, registration number D89KLS <laughs> of course because you like your car what a stupid question of course you know what the registration uh, number is yeah it was uh, 1987 what was the best thing about it um, well it nearly killed me but didn't obviously that was oh, the was that the crash car, car crash oh right um, okay. so but it's now uh, um, probably recycled because it was that was a good 18 years ago but it was uh-huh. uh, I had to get the roof cut off helicopter to what? hospital and stuff like you didn't that tell yeah. me all of this yeah I was in a bad nick oh my um, god so the other guy was alright because uh, he was in a Mercedes E-Class estate right, um, right. that was brand you, new so right you were just mine, in the Jetta yeah so but do you know that was back in the days when um, petrol was like 38p a litre or something like this uh-huh. Um, I, I would think nothing of just going for a drive yeah. around Scotland, you know, just for fun right. sometimes. So I was actually, uh, um, yeah, it was a good car. It was a good car. Good. Goodness <laughs> gracious. Um, so when I first met her, when I first, uh, what we call your first pet? 
I've not done that one before. First pet. Our first pet was a cat called James. All right. Who didn't last very long. Well, it's not still with us, no. No, no, no. That was. was how was, how was did he meet his demise? I, I think he got something wrong with me. He had to get taken to the vet and put down. But um, right. Yeah, that was James. To you. Okay. Well, listen. I think that's the ten. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. I no hope, you, hope you've enjoyed it, and I'm sure that the listeners will track the success of uh, of Let It as it moves forward. Yep. Great stuff. Thank you Thanks so much. much. No worries. So she's still tooting away, isn't she? So she's got this big, big exam. I think it's grade seven that she's after with regards to the clarinet. Big, big exam tomorrow. And uh, you can hear if you've got this up at any sort of uh, volume you'll hear her starting to do her scales now. So wish her all the best for tomorrow and let's hope that uh, she knocks it out of the park as I'm sure she will. Next week, we've got Sandra Martin. Now, if you're in the serviced accommodation game and if you're not, you certainly will have heard about it. Serviced accommodation, it was the buzzword, I think, in letting and property this year. Everybody was all over serviced accommodation like a rash. Sandra Martin, she knows all about serviced accommodation. And she's great at serviced accommodation. And I tell you why she's so good at serviced accommodation. It's because she comes from a hospitality background. The amount of forums that I read, Facebook forums, with landlords and owners complaining about tenants wanting this and wanting that and demanding this and demanding that and the landlords moaning that the tenants are being too precious. That's a problem. That's a huge, huge problem for service accommodation because ultimately what you are running is something akin between a bed and breakfast and a hotel. And if something goes wrong, if you're used to a six-month tenancy and saying to the tenant, listen, I know the heating's on the blink, I'll get it sorted out tomorrow. The shower's on the blink, I'll get a plumber around in the morning. No. If you are renting a property out under the serviced accommodation banner, it has to be fixed yesterday. And if you're not or haven't been brought up in that serviced hotel hospitality industry, then I don't think you're going to do as well in the serviced serviced accommodation side of, of letting than if you had been. So she's got some great insights, Sandra. And she's not blind to the legislation. No, no, she knows what's happening. And I think she's probably, her and her company are probably going to be in such a good position in the event that the legislation does start to make an impact, as undoubtedly it will do, because the the hotels are going to start to squeal. And if they're paying all these rates and rents, etc., to the council, then the council are going to have to listen. And I think there's going to be some legislation that's brought in probably in the next six months to, to 12 months. But Sandra and her team at the serviced accommodation, they'll be so far ahead of the curve that 
whilst nobody's immune, I think she's really well placed in the event that the legislators start to do something. Party season, isn't it? We're three weeks away, or three or four weeks away to the big day, and you will no doubt be inundated with requests to go out and party. I was out with Johnny Riley of Retty's there. We went off to the Warriors game against Cardiff on Friday there, and he tells me that over December he's got 11 nights out. 11 nights out. Johnny, if you're listening to this, book yourself in. You might be needing a new liver come January. And finally, what's happening with the property market in the West End? It is just running away for properties in prime West End. It is just bonkers, absolutely bonkers. Two stories I can tell you about. Havelock Street, property valued at 400. We went in heavy at 420, trying to do a deal before it went to closing date. Clients weren't interested, said they wanted to go to a closing date. We only had one other party who was interested and we got blown out the water by 20 grand. It went for 440, 40 grand over home report value. It's absolutely bonkers bonkers for property in prime location and here's another story for you You've got clients 385 home report value we went in at 410 it tipped the scales at 420 420 off of a 385 valuation and according to the bods at Pasidi Jones who we spoke to about this one what they're seeing is that we're seeing people who are buying properties in the likes of Havelock Street, Polworth Street, Early Drive, Novar Drive they're buying these and they're riding out the market they're buying these to stay in long term so if they pay 20, 30, even 40,000 pounds over the home report value their hope is that they're going to keep these properties for five, ten years, whatever, and the market will catch up. That's what they said in 2007. I hope to goodness that there's not a correction on the way. Time will tell, won't it? Listen, I'm out of here. I'm going to go and listen to some more tooting of number one just to see how she's getting on. Whilst I'm not going to be able to give her any insights, we'll just try and give her some encouragement. So listen, you have been listening once again to the Bricks and Mortar podcast. I am hoping that during December we're going to try and crack out one of these every week. I know I say that. I am going to do my best. I know I've got Sandra Martin lined up. Um, we've got uh, Scott Brady who's going to come on and talk about his uh, properties and what he's been doing and also Mr McQueen who runs a property business. Again, we've got him lined up. So we've got lots of interviews lined up and we're just going to get those done. So you have been listening to the Bricks and Mortar podcast. It is your property podcast Listen, we'll catch you next week.